Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. Today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic in the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm a long-time Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together we're digging and grinding and working and finding the good stuff for you. Mm-hmm. How you doing today, Ice? I'm doing all right. Got a little bit of a migraine working, but hey. Ooh, the good stuff. Living the good life, oh, I tell you. Yeah. The uh, E and her kids are leaving tomorrow, which is just awful. They should really not do that. Mm-hmm. I say as I'm about to leave as well. But still, <laughs> principality is here. But life is good. Getting through it. It is an interesting day to be recording podcasts. It's a Thursday. What are we doing on a Thursday here? Strange, strange things. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, my ass was out of town hanging out with my friends down in the, the, the 805. So, Besides that, anything exciting going on in your neck of the woods? Not really. No, I'm right there with you. Just not a whole lot to, to be excited about. On a lazy Thursday afternoon. But I'm done with work. Well, I'm between works. Yay. Hustle through this and head to practice. But before we do that, I'm going to break us down and catch us up and uh, you can get us into it. Sound good? You betcha. Bet tack you lar. I did not do a great job catching us up last time. <laughs> I was doing more of the macro of the book. But Harry has been drafted into the Warden's. He's rocking the gray cloak and harassing burgeoning young wizards. Well, he's not doing that yet, but he probably will start because that's what they do in our experience. Um, Exactly. The obviously we have a big to do. We have the heirs of Kemler, a badass necromancer in town, and we're trying to both stop them and also take the book that is giving them their instructions and their power to give it to Mavra, the black court vampire, which, you know. Interesting things. But Harry has a bit of a wound on his leg. He's been hoofing it around uh, up and down steps and imaginary elevators. He just got the summoning for the Earl King. We know that part of the right that these some these necromancers are trying to perform and ascend to godhood with involves raising the Earl King, the King of the Goblins, a wild fae. Very powerful wild fae. Mm. And Harry decides that the best way to not let them raise him up is to raise him up himself. Well, there are worse ideas. Not a ton of them, but there, there, have, been, there have to have been worse ideas. Um, beyond that, is that close enough? Yeah, I think we're good there. <laughs> All right. All right. So our plucky hero returns to Murphy's abode to Thomas Butters and Bob sitting at the table and he's got his gray cloak on and Thomas, Thomas's jaw dropped open. Holy crap. He said, Butters blinked at Thomas and then at me, uh, uh, what? Me, Bob said, orange eye lights glowing brightly. You stole a warden's cloak? <laughs> I scowled at them and took the cloak off. It dripped all over the kitchen floor. I didn't steal it. Mouse came padding into the room, tails wagging, and I rubbed briefly at his ear. Oh, Bob said. So you took it off a body? 
No, I said, annoyed, and settled onto a chair at the table. I got drafted. Holy crap, Thomas said again. I don't get it, Butter said. Harry's joined the wizard secret police. He gets to convict on suspicion and take justice into his own hands. How cool is that? <laughs> that might be my favorite thing. I just love Bob and how Bob's so excited about the uh, absolute ridiculousness of it all. He lets Thomas know that there are five wardens in town and that they are injured. And Thomas says, how bad is it? They drafted me. That's bad, all right, Bob said <laughs> cheerfully. <laughs> So Harry's like, what's, what do we got? Butter says, good news and bad news. The bad news is that they don't have anything on the numbers. They're too short. They could, they could be an address or an account number, but none of the banks that they were actually able to get a hold of had used that number of digits. They really weren't having luck with the phones, which we knew was going to happen. So there's a lot of shit going down. The National Guard has been sent in. And we find out that Thomas got some information from Lara. I thought Lara wasn't speaking with you. Just because she cut me off from the family's money, kicked me out of any of our holdings, made it clear that I no longer have their protection and she's holding the woman I love as a virtual prisoner, don't think she doesn't still like me. Personally. So she did you a favor? Technically, she did you a little (laughs) favor. Why did she do that? Well, I hinted about how since her entire power base depended on a certain secret being kept, and since you were awfully irrational about protecting the good citizens of Chicago, that you might develop loose lips to sink her ship if she didn't help you in a moment of need. So you're telling me that I engaged in blackmail against the ruler of the white court by proxy. Yeah, you've got some great big brass balls on you to do something like that, Harry. (laughs) This chapter was just so entertaining. And so... You know, he says, why? And because Lara's got a lot of manpower. She's got a lot of resources and she was able to find the information they needed. And that, you know, they're doing what we got to do. And so Butter says, that's the good news. She wasn't blacked out and cut off from the internet like they are. She wasn't able to get any information on the numbers, but she was able to determine that uh, there were, well, one of her people um, found out that, that there about the information on the Native American artifacts and weapons in Chicago. And apparently the Native American Center is hosting a big hullabaloo on tribal hunting and warfare before all of us pale faces showed up with guns and smallpox. Harry realizes that there's also, the Field Museum has a big, had that big Cahokian artifacts exhibit. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of options, I guess you could say. and. Butter says, even the Mitchell Museum up in Evanston has got more Native American artifacts than either one put together. So basically, the idea is that these Native American artifacts are probably going to be able to release some hunter souls and some very ancient ghosts and power and energy, I guess, which would convert to a lot of power for the baddies, for our necro friends. Um, So... The museum's on a college campus, and a college campus on Halloween night. Thomas is a hell of a place for a gang of necromancers to slug it out. There's going to be collateral damage. No, there isn't, I said, and I was surprised by how vicious my own voice sounded. Because we're going to stop this stupid summoning, and then we're going to hunt those murderous bastards down and kill them. Maybe it's the cloak. (laughs) Harry, do you feel any more judgmental and self-righteous than you did this morning? Uh, Bob is on fire in this in this chapter. Okay, so sundown's in a little bit. 
and Harry's got to get ready to call the Arrow King up. And Thomas says, Harry, if it's Arrow King's presence that's going to attract all of these old spirits to their old tools and stuff, then won't it do the same thing no matter who calls him up? Yeah, unless the one who calls him traps him in a circle to contain his power and leaves him there. And this is dangerous and insane. And even Bob says, no, 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 no. Even assuming you have the will to trap something like the Arrow King is Circle, and even if you keep him there all night, he is not going to let that kind of insult go. He'll come back to you the next night and kill you, if you're lucky. I can worry about that after I've done it. That's a lovely way to think about that. So they are figuring out that the rivals are going to look for the book for the word of Kemmler. And they can't afford to assume that their rivals haven't gotten the book. So they're going to show up with everything they have to prevent one of the others from going through with the ritual. And it's basically bad guy against bad guy. They hate each other and they all want all the power. So Harry sends Thomas off with a note to the warden's hotel. And Thomas says, there's five of them. He'll be outnumbered. Harry tells him, drop the note and leave. Get the fuck out of there. He gives him the keys to Murphy's motorcycle. And Thomas says, she's going to mind me stealing her bike. It's a good cause. The streets are bad and the wardens need to get moving soonest. So Harry explains the concept of thresholds to Butters, about how the threshold in this place is stronger because of the generations of, of Murphy's family that have lived there. And Harry's place is a rental. And so it's not as strong of a threshold, which we knew, but he explains it in a really nice way to Butters. So Butters asks about um, why all these necromancer types use zombies. and. Harry says, not all of them do. Corpse Taker had called up a bunch of semi-corporeal ghosts, specters. But human. Zombies look human. Specters look human. Why not whistle up a pack of decayed rats or maybe semi-corporeal mosquitoes? Why use people? Oh, it's got to do with the kind of metaphysical impression that any given creature leaves upon its death. Sort of like a footprint. Human beings leave larger footprints than most animals, which means that you can pour more energy into reanimating them. He talks about how the older they are, the more power they have when they are reanimated. Old corpses get you stronger undead flunkies, which is well put. And Butters has so many questions. And he says, not now. Harry says, not now. All I want to do is have a quiet cup of tea. Ask Bob. Bob knows a hell of a lot more than I do anyway. And he calls Bob it. And Bob does not take kindly to that. Uh, and he starts asking questions. And Harry kind of takes a moment and has a quiet moment alone thinking. And he says, I was about to call up a peer of Queen Mab and try to trap it for an entire night. A garden spider had about as much chance of trapping a Bengal tiger, except that the Bengal tiger probably wouldn't bother to squash the spider for daring to make the attempt. The Errol King would. That made the whole notion more stupid than most of my plans, but I didn't have too much choice in the matter. If I wasn't fast enough to call the Air King before one of the Kemlerites, or if he escaped my hold and ran loose through Chicago, people would die. The Arrow King would summon the wild hunt into a lightless Chicago night, and anyone they caught in the open would be torn to shreds. I didn't feel like a wizard. I didn't feel like a deadly and powerful warden. I didn't feel like the supernatural champion of Chicago or a fearless foe of evil. 
a daring summoner able to cast his defiance into the teeth of a supernatural titan or an enlightened sage of the mystic arts. I felt like a scarred, battered, aching, one-handed man with few pleasant prospects for the future and a ridiculous pair of pants with one leg slashed off. All right, so Harry had his moment. He got up to get working. He told Butters to stay back with Mouse. And uh, if you see anyone trying to sneak up on me, give a yell. Right, he said, will do. I nodded to him and went out into the rain to test my will against the legendary Lord of the Wild Hunt. So Harry has a bunch of equipment together for the summoning. That was what the pumpkin he got earlier and some other stuff he was, he was getting around town. And the plan is to make a barbed wire circle seven feet across and then use a bunch of different ceremonial items to create the power necessary to trap this serious heavy hitter. He's not even sure it's going to work, which is great. <laughs> um, and we get some lore on cold iron. It's a pretty standard fairy line that cold iron is their bane. Um, in this universe, basically anything with any iron in it counts. We've seen that before, but it's a good reminder still. The barbed wire is presumably steel, but because it's an iron alloy, that'll count for uh, shutting down the fairy power. And we've seen that before. He mentions that if he had more time, he could have gotten very specific items for the Earl King and that time frame in particular. But because he was in a rush, he kind of has some general Kirkland brand stuff, basically. Um, which is interesting. I mean, we, we saw that last week where he was talking to Sheila about how, or he was, during his conversation with Sheila, he was talking in his head to us about how the poem was basically a name Right? And, and so he's basically doing a naming ritual. And so there's very specific items that can go along with that summoning. And he's just kind of winging it with, with close enough, which is a very hairy seat in his pants way to do it. But it's interesting that he mentions that like summoning can be easier or harder based on the specific equipment, which makes sense if you think about it. But it's, I think that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, Definitely. So he goes through the poem that he wrote down at Sheila's and, uh, you know, the steady cadence of the summoning, as you'd expect summonings to be. And the Earl King answered. One moment, the circle was empty. Then there was a flash of lightning, a crash of thunder, and a disembodied black shadow appeared on the grass within the circle. The shadow of a tall, standing figure with no physical presence to cast it. He continues the chant, because if he would have flinched and stopped, um, he would have probably released the Earl King and died. Likely. And as he continues chanting, raising his voice, there's more lightning, and eventually there's this giant, eight-foot-tall, vaguely man-shaped being with a bucket helm and enormous stag uh, horns. What do you call those? Antlers? There you go. I think so. Yeah. Enormous stag antlers. And this is 
the man of the hour, the guy we've been talking about, the Earl King, the king of the goblins, Wild Fae. And we learned a little bit more about the Wild Hunt. They've talked about it a little bit. And here, Harry is shown impressions in his head, which I think are really cool. And of being a part of the hunt and chasing down prey. Um, and, he, and the Earl King's trying to convince him to release him and join him on this hunt. And when he refuses, he shows him the images of the prey, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool that the Earl King has heard of Harry. Yeah. He's very he's cool. The, yeah. Right. Um, he who s- defied Queen Winter, he who slew Lady Summer, I am he. <laughs> it's like, you're a part of the hunt. You're a predator. Um, and he asks, why do you call me if not to join me? And he tells him to prevent, to prevent another from setting him free. Like this line here where you know, he tells him, because your presence would mean suffering and death. And the Earl King, who's speaking into his, directly into his thoughts, said, man suffers. Man dies. It's how things are. Tonight it isn't. Um, He tells Harry he's not strong enough to hold him. But then it turns out, as he's trying to swing his sword at the circle, he is strong enough to hold him. Which is really cool. Um, Even with this Walmart equipment, accoutrement, and kind of putting together this ritual, this summoning on the fly says a lot about Harry's power level. Cause this is the Earl King is on par with Mab. He mentioned multiple times. So he's holding this incredibly powerful being with only his will in the circle, which Bob didn't think he was strong enough to do either, which is kind of cool for our our plucky hero. But when someone cracks you on the back of the head, you tend to lose your focus and your will. Harry falls down into the grass, which feels cold and wet against his cheek. And with a shriek of triumph, the Earl King shattered the circle into a cloud of golden light that faded and vanished. There was a roar of wind, and then an enormous horse landed in Murphy's yard as if, as if it had just vaulted over the whole of her house. The Earl King flung himself up onto the, bl- the black steed's back and let loose an eerie cry. When he did, all the howling music of the dogs, primitive and fierce, seemed to congeal into flashes of lightning that leapt up from the ground and into the clouds. A couple of great big hounds, beasts the size of ponies, come out with the same flaming amber eyes of the Earl King, come out of the shadows. He turns his horse, gives Harry a mocking salute. Um, and then the horse starts running up into the air, which is just a great visual. I love it. Um, lightning flashed again, and they were all gone. The wild hunt was loose in Chicago, and I had been the one to call them here. As he rolls over onto his back, he looks down the barrel of his own 44 up at Cowl. An impressive display, Dresden. It's always such a pity when someone with such talent dies so young. 
And he tells, he says to Cal, but you weren't planning on doing it yourself, are you? Otherwise, you would have just shot me in the back of the head and had it done. With me groggy like that, you might not have even had a death curse to worry about. Very good. Your reason at least seems sound. Provided you remain very still and give me no reason to think you a threat. I'll be glad to let you live until the Arrow King returns. And we learned that he and Kumori had been taking turns trailing her, tailing him for the day. And he confirms that Cowell is the one who took out all of the power and, and phone lines, radio communications, and quite a few other subtler things. I love how proud of himself he is. He really is. Pride going before the fall. <laughs> they think they're using you to get to the serious technical magic done while they save up their juice for the fight, but you think you're lulling them off guard so that when the Dark Hollow goes down, you get the power. There's no real reason to practice my swordplay and summoning of the dead when I have no intention of entering a tactical contest with them. You really intend to make yourself into a god? I, t- I intend to take the power. I regard myself as the least of the possible evils. Motherfucker. The least of the evils. Everybody's bad. And so... Harry says, right, you're the correct madman for the job. I do not perceive myself to be mad. But if I were truly mad, would I be able to tell? Where have we heard that one before? (laughs) I shivered. Probably from the rain and the cold. And then Kumari comes in, sorry, comes out. Um, She left the door open behind her. There was no candlelight in the kitchen. There was no movement inside the house. And Cal says he knows about the wardens, but that they don't pose a serious obstacle. He says that he has no intention of fighting them. He's simply going to kill them. Which is interesting. Yes. That's like, of all his boasts, that one I found the most interesting. Yeah. And it's a curious sort of thing. But he's, Harry says, you still, don't know, you still don't have the word. How are you going to manage the Dark Hollow without it? For an answer, Cal carefully lowered the hammer on my revolver and turned away. And he laughed quietly under his breath. And then they walk over to the edge of the yard, and he basically flips a hole, a hole into the veil and walks between it. And Harry said he was left alone in the wind and darkness and the cold rain. And... He had to check on butters and moose. He goes into the house, and it's dark. All the candles are out. He uses the light from his mother's pentacle, and the house is empty. There's no sign of mouse or butters. But there's no evidence of a struggle either. If Kumori had found them, there would be signs of violence, blood, scattered furnishing. Butters' pipers were still stacked up neatly on the kitchen table. Murphy's house wasn't a large one, and there were only so many places butters could be. So he starts walking through the house, and there in the closet, Butters and Mouse are crouched. Butters was at the rear, and though Mouse looked cramped, he crouched solidly between Butters and the door. So Butters says that uh, he saw something going on, something showed up in the circle, he freaked out, and he kind of dragged the dog in and hid. Butters then goes and pukes. Harry looks at the dog and says, you know what? I don't care if Butters had been chock full of gamma radiation and had green skin and purple pants. There's no way he could haul you into a closet with him. But that would mean that it was the other way around. That you were the one hauling Butters into a hiding place. But that would mean that you knew you couldn't handle Kamori and that she was dangerous to Butters. And you knew that, you wa- that I wanted you to protect him. And that instead of fighting or running away, 
You formulated a plan to hide him. And dogs aren't supposed to be that smart. And so Butters comes out and he apologizes. Harry says, nah, you took cover. And then Harry realizes it. They took Bob. And Butters says, why would they do that? Because Bob the Skull hasn't always been mine. He used to belong to my old teacher, Justin. And before that, he belonged to the necromancer, Kemmler. I don't get it, Butters said. Bob did for Kemmler what he did for me. He was a consultant, a research assistant, a sounding board for the magical theory. That's why Cal took him. Cal's doing research? No. Cal knew that Bob used to be Kemmler's. Somewhere in there, Bob knows everything about the theory that Kemmler did. What does that mean? It means that Cal doesn't need the word of Kemmler now. He doesn't need the stupid book to enact the Dark Hollow because he's got the spirit that helped Kemmler write it. I shook my head, bitter regret, a metallic taste in my mouth, and I practically gave it to him. Before we get going here, how, uh, scale of one to throwing the book, how were you on that? This chapter. Which one? The one that just happened? No, the third, the one I'm about to go through. The GPS stuff? No, the, uh, Sheila. I had a few thoughts. <laughs> we'll, all right, we'll talk about them. A lot of chatter from the tea ploffers excited about you getting to this spot in the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, very good stuff. Love it when they pull the rug out from on you. On, when they pull the... I love it when they pull the rug out from under you effectively like that. Uh, very good stuff. So Harry gives his bloody knuckle a disdainful glance. Uh, earlier, he was yelling at his leg to get hit shit together. Now he just glares at his, <laughs> just mad dogs, his, his bloody knuckles. He tells Butters to grab Mouse. We got to get out of here because this place isn't safe. Now they know they know about this place. And while we're not sure that they're tailing Cal and Kumori, Cal and Kumori were tailing Harry and probably somebody's going to be onto this place soon and it's not safe for Butters anymore so they got to get out and when he realizes that he's been tailed all day Harry you know wants to go make sure everyone he encountered is okay namely one ginger trickster is she ginger I think she's ginger Maybe she was she's just a ginger brunette. in the dream. In the dream she was, right? Either yeah. way. No, she was a blonde in the dream. Oh, whatever. One one uh, trickster, tricksy, tricksy lady here. Um in Sheila. And what's interesting though, I mean, I, I we've saved a lot of the conversation for the uh, analysis, but I wanted to bring this up here. It's like he just now realized he was being tailed. He ran into Kumori at her apartment building. Yeah, that's the thing. Which I mean, again, you can attribute this to like sloppy writing, but I really do think it fits the theme of just Harry's not well, right? He's just everything. He's not thinking clearly, which we've seen a ton. And now Lissy knows why, or at least part of that reason, right? But even that doesn't really explain all of it, I don't think. Um, it's just a funky deal, but it, you can kind of hand wave that. I, I really do think it. It might. What do you think? Mistake or? Harry's I think it brain was just foggy. I think Harry's brain's just foggy. He was distracted and he's in pain and all these other things. I certainly can. At this point, I think butchers earned the credit to, to lean into that for sure. And Harry also mentions besides uh, checking on Sheila, he's got to find the book, the word. And butter's like, uh, why? <laughs> it's funny that the necromancers are fighting over the dark hollow 
to make sure the other guys don't get it. Right. Like that's why they'll show up and try to stop each other and mm-hmm. they're fighting to make sure not if anyone's going to have, it, it's gotta be me. Otherwise no one can have it. And Harry takes that kind of that same logic here with the word. Obviously he's not planning on doing the dark hollow, but it's just kind of some more similarity with cowl. And we've seen a little bit of that throughout that there's, there's some sort of, I don't want to say like they have any similar goals, but their method, their methods and thought processes seem to be similar in a lot of ways. Especially, I mean, this is a specifically a you know supposedly a bad guy, and he's now had a couple chances to kill Harry and hasn't, right? Like, yeah, that's that alone is is unique among bad guys. He tells Butters what he told Thomas that there's no way he can win this fight straight up, so he has to get smart. And you know, if he can get the book and and try to tip the scales in his favor, maybe he can bump somebody's elbow on their way through and, and try to cause enough problem that they can't succeed. He's not really going to win a straight up fight. Um, Cowell will kick his eldritch ass, as he says. You know, he, he tells Butters, we got to figure out what those numbers are now. And Butters like, well, I mean, you can say now, but that, <laughs> that doesn't really, that, that doesn't get us any closer. So they go through more, you know, possibilities. Like, is it a combination of safe? Is it um, credit card? You know, they already talked about bank accounts and stuff. Um, credit cards, I don't know what discovers start with, but nobody uses discover, but <laughs> Visa starts with a four, MasterCard a five, and uh, Amex all start with a three. So if it, the first number isn't one of those, you know it's not a credit card. Process, you know. Oh, yeah, no, I, I mean, just going through the possibilities for sure. Again, we, I, we've talked about how much we like that, right? Where he's guess and check and just kind of breaking stuff down. Um, it is that, you know, he's a detective, right? I mean, he happens to be a wizard, but like his profession, you know? Yeah. I guess he's both, but it, like, I like, that's again, why I got, Marsters was what got me trying the book, but why I got into it and kind of how I described it to Lissy for years was, uh, you know, he's a wizard PI. He's got a gun and gun in one hand and a, a revolver in one hand and a staff and wizard staff in the other. Um, and I love to see him lean into that mundane side of it a little bit, which is cool. Really? They go to the Cabrini Green, the shitty apartment over there. And Butter's like, why are we stopping here? Which is a very good question. Very, you know? very good question. Agreed. Uh, and, he, and he, again, repeats that somebody helped him today and he's got to make sure they're okay. But this so, is also just so hairy. His concern is for other people. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a woman potentially in danger as well. Yes, that's true. Which, which adds to it. And I, I don't even mean that in a negative way in this case. It's more just like, all the more reason for him to, to definitely follow through with this for sure. From the Harry ideal. Yes. Yeah. He leaves butters in the car with mouse. We mentioned, I mentioned it earlier. And again, I know what's the reveal that's about to come up here, but he took mouse out to see Mab or see Le- Leah, but he ended up seeing Mab. And then conveniently when he went over to see Sheila, the you know, the first time to get the, the poem, he said, oh, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to bring Mouse, which very, again, I don't think it's a mistake. I think that is Lashiel deci- you know, making him think that he can't take Mouse with him, right? Like he's playing, yeah. with his bra- playing on his brain a little bit. But it's interesting that, again, he leaves Mouse and Mouse would see right through this shit. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's just, a really good a, point. A, again, just this like clearly she has an effect on his brain throughout this novel in ways that I didn't realize before. And I'm not even sure I've caught as all of them yet. So Butters asks if it's this girl that asked him out and, um, you know, tells him that Thomas told him 
And at least, at least he didn't let me keep thinking you were gay. Yeah, pretty aughts phrasing, but whatever. Like the truth of it. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, you know, it, he told me the truth. Yeah, but I mean, it's the like, at least he, I don't think you're gay anymore. Cause you imagine if I thought you were gay, but again, it's not leaning super heavy into that. I, again, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's bad. I, I'm, I'm, I'm programmed to pick up to see these things, but I don't, at, you know, at a certain point, language is what it is. And I, yeah. I it, it may be not the best. And certainly I'm not in that community. So someone can speak up for that for them. But I, uh, I hope it wasn't that bad again. I, 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 I digress. Um, he hustles up the billion stairs to get up to Sheila's apartment. And he knocks and, you know, she doesn't answer right away. But then when he says it's him, she comes and answers. Um, just trying to think if he hadn't done that. What would she have done? <laughs> right. Now I'm thinking through all this stuff, right? He hops inside and she didn't go to the party for some reason. Because there is no party. Um, well, because she was walking and it was raining. Yeah, she says it's because she's walking and, and it was raining, but she's also a figment of his imagination. Uh, well, she's not yes. a figment of his imagination, but Sheila doesn't exist. Yes. Um, figment of somebody's imagination. And uh, so she says she didn't go out. She's just kind of in a uh, lounging shirt. Uh-huh. The jersey was loose on her, but she had the curves to make it look more appealing than it had any right to be. He gets all into her calves. <laughs> He's an equal opportunist as far yeah. as curves, I guess. So power there, I guess. Um, that really does sound kind of noir Very. The jersey was loose on her, but she had the curves to make it look more appealing than it had any right to be that day. <laughs> you can see her calves. Um, which we talked a lot about how he didn't really do a good job on the that angle of the uh, Noiri stuff early on in the series. He kind of like went over the top sexist, basically. I mean, I like that. I, that's that just like as far as the theme. I don't like it, obviously. <laughs> but I think that fits the kind of the noir aspect better than a lot of his attempts in Stormfront. Neither here nor there. You know, she asks if she's in danger and... Similar conversation that they had at the bookstore. Again, it's it's all bullshit, but you know, yeah. still going through it. Right? The do you feel anxious or nervous for no reason? No more than any other day. <laughs> and she mentions, you know, she, she uh, thanks him, you know, for checking in on her. And she mentions that she wants to talk to him about something after this is over. It would probably just dis, you know distract you, your focus, so you're not going to be able to be successful tonight if I did it now, but. Let's talk. A mild flirting, which is, I mean, fine in the moment. Um, good in the moment. I like Harry to get a little play, but that's not going to happen. Um, he gives her another kiss. It says he's going to call her soon. And Butters, we hear Butters' voice. How did he know what floor she was on? Mouse. Mouse. No, exactly. No, that's the oh. answer. I but love I also, when, when, the, when I first saw that, I thought it was going to be Bob. That she had stolen Bob. Oh, shit. That would be an interesting twist. Um, I mean, he's already been betrayed plenty. <laughs> Once. One time. Um, 
well, twice, but once off, once on screen. And when Butters says that, she says, damn it. He's like, what? I didn't want this to distract you. And the jig is up. Butters. Jess, motherfucker. <laughs> he tries to introduce Butters to Sheila. And Butters like, oh, it's dark in here, dude. Like, you know, the, the, the car died and Butters was scared of probably people down there, um, which we can, can brush right by at this point. <laughs> um, he's not in a furnished apartment where a cute, quirky bookshop lady lives. He's in a construction site, broken down um, apartment. There's no light. There aren't the candles that he, he imagined he saw. So he, Butters asked him to light his pentacle and he does. And he says, Sheila, I hope you don't mind if they come in. And then Butters is like, uh, what? Who the fuck are you talking to? Which coming full circle with the conversation with Billy um, and Bach thought he was talking to himself because he was talking to himself. Yeah. But he was, he was making talking that to the voice inside his head. But when he, he said, see that? That was a Tolkien reference. And Bach was like, Huh. <laughs> way back uh, that first interaction um, but I, I just like that kind of like progression of that and sometimes he was he was literally talking to his leg when, when Billy came by but again just one of those things that's kind of popped up throughout the novel he's sitting there talking to nobody and he brings up his sight and everything goes away all the furnishings a lot of the drywall except for Sheila, but she has a faint tint of light around her. Might not be close enough to my microphone. A faint tint of light around her. What is that? Subtle, but... Subtle, but definite. Which kind of reminds me of a halo. Um, just kind of how I envisioned it. Um... Which I mean, she was an angel at one point, um, but just that's kind of how I view it. I thought of it in my mind. He let go of his sight, and he realized that Sheila is just Lashiel in a different order. <laughs> Obviously, that the, the uh, H instead of the C, but pretty much the same deal. Um, and Butters is like, "Who are you talking to?" He's like, "Shut up a minute, Butters," and he has a full on conversation with her, which has got to weird the fuck out of butters. Oh, seriously. And you know, it's an interesting interaction because she does seem genuine. Again, I mean, I mentioned earlier that I would just pick up the coin and just start doing whatever she said. Probably. She seems so genuine, you know, like she, she hadn't kissed anyone in a while. She wanted, you know, she wanted true to feel a connection to somebody, which is why she created Sheila. And, and you, if you're supposed to necessarily, but I certainly feel for her some, you know, I don't think she's a good guy. <laughs> she, you know, I, I do think she's, you know, the temptress, the web weaver. She's, she's, she's a baddie, but you know, we talked about kind of the shades of gray and like the idea of like very few bad guys are just bad because, you know, and she, in the dream, she mentioned about free will and, and getting out from under a yoke and how important that is. So like, you really can feel her motivation Still, mm -hmm. lying to someone and putting images in their head is not 
cool. Yeah, a little bit manipulation. It is just interesting how he makes this character who is literally a fallen angel. <laughs> She's of hell mm-hmm. into a sympathetic kind of villain, you know, or which is impressive. Kind of, um, I, I don't even want to say villain, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. It's like brilliant. And it's really cool. Cause it's, it's, it's not sacred. It's not over the top. It doesn't like, you know, like it's just, just enough subtle. To, I really love it. Um, I really like Lashiel. You know, we talked about her sass. I just like the way she doesn't, you know, gives as good as she gets from Harry. But, you know, she, they talk about how she can help him and he, he should, all this stuff. And how if, of course, she wants to help him because if he dies, he goes away, right? She's not actually Lashiel. She's a shadow of, of Lashiel in his brain until he picks up the coin. He won't have the full version of Lashiel. Um, so she is, in a way, almost mortal here. And then he, you know, he says, like, why would I believe that you want me to live? And she, she puts an image in his head of the building on fire. And again, how quickly he reacts to it is just so, it's just so unhairy like right? Like, the building didn't just automatically turn to flame, you know? And what, and also... Fear of fire. That's, oh, that's very true. She preys on exactly the right fear. Yeah. But he doesn't think about butters or mouse at all. He doesn't, but I think he's just so... Well, again, it's just very unhairy. Like, she's fucked with his brain a little bit, is what I'm, I'm getting at. Yeah, no, she truly has. We know that she's fucked with his brain. Yeah, no, for sure. But she puts an image of a fire escape outside the burning building. Yeah, that's and as, fucked up. As he's about to hop out, the fire goes away, and he realizes there is no fire escape. So the point here is, if she wanted to make him jump out a window, she could make him jump out a window. Yeah. And he has, you know, he's legitimately tempted here when she says, I can help you defend yourself against the disciples of Kemmler. I can teach you magics you have never considered. I can show you how to make yourself stronger, swifter. I can show you how you might heal the damage to your hand. If you have enough discipline, there wouldn't even be a scar. And he says, like, she was lying to me. She had to be. That's what Denarians did. They lied and manipulated their way into a mortal's good graces, gradually giving them more power while they fell more deeply under their demonic influence. Which sounds like he's rationalizing. But you know, that's not true. No, it wouldn't be good. It's going to be bad. Right? Like, we've seen this conversation in his head before in every book where he, like, walks through it, but he's not actually tempted. This sounds like he's actually being tempted here. And, you know, he mentions that she would make him stronger. Even the weakest Denarian he'd seen. Name drop had been a certifiable nightmare. (laughs) And Hellfire has already shown him how he can increase his power like that, abracadabra. Yeah. And then he has the uh, sexy dream version of this temptation where she can appear as anything she wants. And he decides to shut her down. He says, this is my mind. And he repeats, get thee behind me. And he brings his will. But he says that a lot. This is mine. This is my hand. It was mine. It was my, my mind. And I really like, that's just very much him. Yeah, no, it's very much. I mean, it's almost... I mean, he probably is, he's neuroatypical for sure, right? Like Mm -hmm. the way he focuses on things and stuff. And that's part of it. Like his, like he, he, the things he has, he focuses on and he keeps, you know, for a long time. And he, he doesn't, he fears change and, and. Yeah. But growing up how he did, it makes sense. Oh, for sure. For sure. No, it's not even a criticism. It's just part of his psyche. Yeah, very much so. And it's his mind. Yep. And again, that get thee behind me biblical. 
if I ever meet a demon and I'm and I'm shutting him down, I will say, get thee behind get me. Get thee behind me. Hell yes. E- even the atheists gotta gotta hit the high notes. Hundred percent. I mean, shit. Some of the people I know now, I'm, I want I want to just be like, get thee behind me. <laughs> uh, he creates manacles and a cage for her, and he locks her up in his brain, with or with his brain, but in his brain. And she says, "Fool, we will die." And he, then he added a tarp over the top to make it so she couldn't make any noise. Right. And that's pretty smart. I said, maybe we will, but I'll do it on my own. We touched on how this whole shit must be so weird for butters. He turns around, looks at butters and he's like, uh, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) And he explains him that the demon got in his head and he didn't exercise her, but put her under control. And butters asks, are you crying? Harry, are you sure you're all right? Not, you know, insane? Look who's talking, Polka boy. Um, which, is Polka a sign of insanity? That's just criticizing one of his <laughs> hobbies. That's, um, lashing out when you're in a bad place at your friends. <laughs> yeah, Harry says he's all right. At least no crazier than I usually am. But he thanks Butters, because Butters didn't just help. Butters saved the day. There was no way she could fit you into the illusion. He's just so used to knowing more about power and magic. The demon was using some of my expectations against me. It knew exactly how to hide things from a wizard. And that rings a big old bell in his brain. Hell's bells. That's it. It is? Uh, what is? <laughs> how to hide things from a wizard. <laughs> Eureka! State motto, California. Not haha. Not haha. We're painfully unfunny out here. Let's go. Come on. Let's hurry. Why? Because I know what those numbers mean. I know how to find the word of Kemler. And to do it, I need your help. So they are out and about. Lights are out in Chicago. The National Guard is set up. There are some streets are bright lit, brightly lit. Some streets are dark as all get out. And so they pull up onto the sidewalk in front of Darkened Radio Shack, and he fizzores. Holy crap, Butter said, his voice in a hushed shout. You're breaking in. No one's minding this door. Come on. Now you're entering. You're breaking and entering. We're going to jail. It's a good cause, Butters. We're the secret champions of the city. Justice and truth are on our side. They are. They are if you hurry up before someone in a uniform spots us. Move it. They go in and they pull out a GPS unit and batteries. And Butter says, I can't see anything. Can you make the light again? Not, cl- not this close to the gadget. A minute or two won't be a problem. But the longer I work, the force is near it, the more likely it's to give out. I need some light. So they park and they let his headlights reflect against an overhang. And Butter says, tell me what you think this is again. The numbers in Boney Tony's code are just longitude and latitude. He hides the book, see? He records the coordinates in one of those global satellite thingies all those soldiers raved about during Desert Storm. Global positioning system. Butters corrected me. Whatever. The point is that you need the GPS to find those coordinates. They're accurate to what? 10 or 12 yards? More like 10 feet. So Boney Tony figures that most wizards wouldn't have a clue about what a GPS device is, and the ones who do can't use one because they're high tech. And running one even closer, a wizard, will make it short out. It's his insurance to make sure Gravain can't screw him. But Gravain did. Gravain did. 
the idiot. He never considered that Boney Tony might have been able to outfox him. So he knows that Boney Tony has got the key to finding the word of Kemmler on him. But, but Gravain never considered that it might be something he can't access. He just blunders along, doing as he pleases, which he's used to. Whereas you read books at the library. And magazines, because they're free. And he says that the idea came up, came to him because of George's SUV. And so the signal's not coming through very well. So Harry teaches Butters to create a circle. Or he creates a circle and creates, uh, teaches Butters to kind of create a safe circle. And it works. And he refers to it as an anti-morphonic field. And they gradually use the GPS to get to the field museum. They go inside and within 10 or so feet, they're, they're by the big dinosaur. And so they're confused. And Harry says, elevation. So they go up to a gallery overlooking the main hall. And they find an envelope duct taped to the underside of a platform. And in it is the word of Heinrich Kemmler. And as they're doing this, Harry hears a sound. The sound didn't repeat itself. There was only thunder and rain. I put, my, I put a finger to my lips and Butters nodded. Then I closed my eyes and reached out with my senses, slow and careful. For the barest second, I felt my thoughts brush against a stirring of cold energy. Necromancy. Butters, get out. What? Get out. There's a fire exit at the far side of the gallery. Go out it. Run. Get out of here and don't come. Don't stop until you're someplace safe. Don't look down. Don't look back. Don't slow down. He stared at me, his eyes huge, his face deathly pale. And Butters goes. And in walks Gravain. And then Harry has an idea. Holding my pentacles chain and my teeth for light, I opened the book and started flipping through it one page after another. I didn't read it. I didn't even try to read it. Just opened the pages, fixed my gaze at a couple of points on each, and moved on. It wasn't a long book. I was finished less than two minutes later. And Gravain shows up and tells him to give him the book. Harry says, I'm going to burn it to ash. He says, uh, you need the book. You can't do that. You want that power as much as I do. And Harry says, speed reading. I can do War and Peace in 30 minutes. Give me the book. I will allow you to live. Get out of my way, or I will allow it to burn. Gravain smiled, and suddenly a weight fell on me like someone had dropped a lead-lined blanket on my shoulders. My ears filled with rushing, hissing whispers. I stumbled and felt a dozen flashes of burning needle-fine pain, and between that and the extra weight, I fell on my knees. It took me a second to realize what was happening. Snakes. I was covered in snakes. There were too many of them to count or identify, and they were all furious. So he's being attacked by snakes. Gravain walks over and takes the book. And Liver Spots is hanging over him. I know you. I know who you are. Liver Spots, Liver Spots knelt down over me. He took my wrists and clamped something around them. And then at that point is when Gravain took the book. And are you satisfied, Liberspots asked, entirely. 
And you will stand by our bargain? Of course, Gravain answered. A pleasure working with you. He's all yours. Well, Dresden, I believe you you were saying you recognized me. Let me help with your memory. He took an olive drab duffel bag from his shoulder and set it on the ground. Then mostly with one hand, he opened it. And he drew out a Louisville slugger. A Louisville slugger. Oh, my God. I tried to move, but I couldn't. The metal bindings burned cold on my wrists. You, you busted up my car. Mm, as much as you broke my ankles, my knees, my wrists, and my hands with a Louisville slugger baseball bat while I lay helpless on the floor. Quintus Cassius, the snake boy, the serpent-summoning sorcerer, and former knight of the Order of the Blackened Denarius, smiled down at me. He leaned over, kneeling, and far too close to me for comfort, and whispered to me as if to a lover. I've dreamed of this night, boy, he purred, and gently stroked the side of my face with a baseball bat. In my day, we would say that revenge is sweet, but times have changed. How do you say? Payback is a bitch. Rutro. He stares up at liver spots and asks how they found him, which again is a weird question because people have been trailing him all day. Yeah, you've been followed all novel and not. <laughs> you have no fucking clue what's going on around you. Um, interesting, you know the different ways they do stuff, right? Cal and Kamori was more mundane follow him around and they went to butter's apartment and took some hairs and did tracking a spell yeah tracking spell which is funny those are the two things harry does really well like yeah detectiving and tracking spells mm-hmm. that's like his talent just kind of i just like that again it's he's more evenly matched than he gives himself credit for um but it's also just good it rhymes right um and he asks Harry if he's afraid. He's like, you know, you're about the fifth scariest person I've met today. <laughs> and he, get, he gets mad at that. But honestly, it's like, we got Mab, the Earl King, Lashiel, Gravain, Cowell, Kumori. He's ahead of a bunch of those guys. <laughs> so, good for you, Cassius. <laughs> he mentions that even from a couple years ago, Cassius looks like shit. You know, he's, yeah. His body's aged at a precipitous rate. Um, he looks, he's ca- campaigning for the presidency of the World Psychosis Association. <laughs> Here we learn how old Cassius is. He, Harry thinks he's 15 or 16 centuries deep into his tenure as a coin carrying monster, which is significant. Mm-hmm. Just thinking of the the body count there just absolutely obscene. Harry basically knows Cassius will kill him. Well, no, not even a second thought, but he's going to wait. You know, he's obviously going to make him hurt, <laughs> hurt, right? The last time we saw Cassius, it was at the motel when Harry beat the shit out of him with a bat. Um, after they took Salurio's coin off of him. So Harry's thinking that maybe just get him. Uh, Harry's thinking that if a flash of rage takes him, he might just shortcut and bash his head in the bat. He's not at a point where he wants that or anything like that, but it's just like, this guy's a psychopath. And he tries to draw in his magic, and we feel the thorn manacles that he's worn at least once before, twice before now, because remember, there was a memory of him wearing them some other time, which we didn't know about. That was surprising to me. So 
he, he's familiar with these. They are manacles that prevent wizards and witches from using magic. As soon as he tries to draw on his will, the thorns drive into his wrists as if he'd swept his hand through a rose bush. So he's in an uncomfortable position and has his thorny handcuffs and he can't use magic. And he's realizing he's not in for a fun evening. No. He thinks back of Shiro, who was tortured in part by Cassius and kind of tries to gather some strength from that. And as he's going down that path of logic, he realizes that when the Denarians show up, there's usually a counterbalance from the light. Generally, Michael, uh, Sanya, mm-hmm. and Shiro. Before Shiro was... Shiroed. De-bloodified. Um, exsanguinated all over the chapel. Oh. Um, and so it's interesting that, you know, Harry's thinking that maybe Faith, you know, believing that someone will come will actually save him. Basically, as he starts to get tortured, he basically is like begging the universe for Michael to show up. Mm-hmm. Which remember, we, he talked about how he didn't want to see Michael earlier. Just again, just the kind of twists and juxtapositions of things throughout this novel. The it all b- comes down to need. Of course. But it's just, it, I just like how it all kind of these subtle Coalesce. lines earlier. Yeah, they come, yeah. come together in an interesting way. Um, He tries to get Cassius talking because the longer he's talking, the more chance of somebody showing up. He, uh, his coin was keeping him young. Harry's asking, is your new demon not keeping you young? Like, what's up? He he doesn't have a demon. This is why I'm, I made the deal with Gravain to help him in exchange for fucking up Harry and taking his coin. So Nicodemus actually cast him out because he lost his coin. But he's confident that if he gets another coin, he'll be able to rejoin the bad guys. And, you know, he tells Carrie, give up the coin. Give me the coin. He's like, I don't have it. He actually honestly tells him it's, it's, she's bound and buried in my basement. Um, but Cassius can't comprehend someone not taking up the coin when they have it, when they touch mm-hmm. it. He's, he, at one point, presumably sent a, uh, millennia and a half ago had the shadow of Silurial in his head for some amount of time. And he was convinced probably rather quickly to pick up, take up the coin. So he basically starts torturing him. He mentions that one, uh, Denarian used to swallow the coin and poop it out and then swallow it again, which is gross. Mm -hmm. Um, I do wonder where all these guys keep them though. It brings up some interesting questions. Yeah, it definitely does. (laughs) But, uh, he starts beating the shit out of him, you know, cutting him open. Um, and he's hitting him with a chain. So just Which slashing him. Painful. Absolutely awful. Um, tearing through his shirt and ripping at the flesh of his belly. Surrender your coin. Surrender your coin. Surrender your coin. Just bam, 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 bam. Um, and then he goes on a long soliloquy about the bat and his balance isn't good because Harry busted up his knee and his ankles. Um, and and now it's interesting. At this point, Harry stops one, w- waiting for Michael. 
he stops kind of woe is meing and he goes into just being pissed off at a bully. Which is appropriate and absolutely hairy. like I can't control this. I can control attitude, gratitude, and uh, effort, right? Uh, he's going to control, you know, and, he, and he says, I told you, if I ever saw you again, I would kill you. I remember. One should never make promises one can't keep. I didn't. And obviously, Cassius has the upper We bet hand has an now. upper hand. But uh, so he says the upper hand, the upper Louisville slugger, you know, it's over. He has the high ground. Um, But he says, you know, can't imagine you have more than a few moments to make good. And. Takes out a knife and he's starting to cut into his abdomen with a hooked blade. There's no bueno. He's going slowly just to make sure Harry can scream and feel it and enjoy the process. Some torture shit. And because he's screaming and howling at the top of his lungs and shrieking profanities at him, Cassius never heard Mouse's claws on the marble floor. Mighty Mouse. L-F-G, baby. Let's fucking go. Mouse blasts him um, and knocks him off of Harry. Cassius does the snake spell and launches a serpent at Mouse as well. And Mouse is a badass and wins Mm -hmm. the fight with the snake. And for the first time in this interaction, Cassius thinks he might actually not get out of this. And he starts foaming at the mouth. He's a grotesque grimace of fury. And at the very least, he's going to take Harry with him. And he grabs his hair and brings the knife to his neck. But before it's there, before he can slit his throat, there's a thin, high-pitched, tinny-sounding wail. And motherfucking Butters... I love it. ...plays the hero, throws himself onto Cassius, knocks him off of Harry onto the floor. The knife goes skittering away. <laughs> He's the little guy has the fighting prowess of a leatherback turtle, but he got his arms and legs around Cassius's torso and clung like a wild haired monkey. Cassius headbutts his nose, crunching it. And then he goes to get the knife and butters once again, jumps on him, uh, grabbing around a leg. You know, he's kicking at butters to make him let go as he's trying to pick up the knife. He eventually gets to it, and again, Butters is standing between Cassius and Harry. He's puked twice this novel in fear. Mm-hmm. He's going to puke again. Oh, I don't see why how he couldn't. But this is badass. I love totally this. and completely. It's... And Mouse rushes in with a flank, smashes into Cassius's knees. He learned that move from Mister. <laughs> he totally did. He goes down like a bowling pin. Mouse lands on top of him. And he's got his jaws around his neck. Cassius is afraid. And Harry says, I gave you a chance. Cassius's liver spotted face goes pale. With horrified comprehension. He says, wait, 
Mouse, kill him. And Mouse's jaws crushed the delicate bones of his neck. There's a flare of ugly energies, unholy purplish light around him, and he spoke words that rang in echoes, totally out of proportion to their volume. And this, my friends, is a death curse. Die alone. A flood of power hit me, and my vision went black. The last thing I heard was the snapping of bone. God, that's just like... So horrible. So metal. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Pretty crazy. All right. Do some analysis. All right. So, in general, what'd you think of this chunk? Definitely some big reveals, some big moments. A lot of shit happening. A lot of crazy shit happening. Indeed, indeed. There are a couple moments, especially in this first chapter, that kind of felt like a little bit of a throwback to certain moments. Harry tells us about how if he doesn't, if he has doubts, he won't be able to perform the magic. Mm Mm-hmm. The entire part about him when he's sitting in the living room drinking his tea is about the doubts he has. When he was saying that, I was like, oh my god, this isn't going to work. Because he's doubting himself. Which magic? The Earl King stuff. Because he says, the part, one of the parts I read where he's talking about how, where is it? I didn't feel like a wizard. I didn't feel like a deadly and powerful warden. I didn't feel like the supernatural champion of Chicago or a fearless foe of evil, a daring summoner able to cast his defiance into the teeth of a supernatural titan or an enlightened sage of the mystic arts. He has doubts. Mm-hmm. And he told us before that if you have doubts, you, can't, you, you aren't as powerful and you may not be able to cast the magic that you Yeah, which is why I felt like it was so interesting that he was, he was powerful enough to do it, right? Like, I mean, he, he had... He had the Earl King trapped. The Earl King only got out because of Cowell. Yeah. There was, there was doubts. And it was just, that was something that stuck out to me, that he had doubts. And this is like, with, with all the stuff with the fire, that's another thing that, that's popped up a lot, this novel. Like, mm-hmm. Harry's always believes he's less capable than he is. Um, mm-hmm. No, he definitely has. But yeah, no, that's interesting. It's just a thought. The other thought I had about this chapter, which I don't know if it'll come into play, but he told Bob to forget all of the things Kemmler, yeah. he did for Kemmler. I have that note, exactly the, the same note. And so is that going to carry over? And also, what is the, what are the, the how is, how is Bob passed on? Obviously, Cowell has no idea that Bob ordered him to forget it. And yeah, so it makes sense that Cowell would go him. after him. But yeah, Harry doesn't mention it to Butters, and I mean it doesn't particularly make any sense to mention it to Butters because he wouldn't really be able to get the nuts and bolts. But he doesn't yeah. think it. He doesn't mention it to us, which does seem inconsistent. For sure. Seems like it might, like, 
throw Cal for a loop at some point when he doesn't can't get the information from him. Yeah, quite possibly. So that was a big one. First one, yeah. Um, I want to know how Lara has internet. Why wouldn't well, she? They're in Chicago. No, they have many places. Chicago's just one of their places. She's obviously not there. Um, and I think she didn't. She say she didn't, that it's not where she preferred to be. Yeah. That was Thomas's true, hangout. True. Um, we may see her once or twice. <laughs> um, the other mm-hmm. thought I had on this one. So when they mentioned the. Uh, uh, do, do, do all the Native American artifacts and the displays that are going on at Kendall College. He says that the Fields Museum has that big Cahokian artifacts exhibit. That professor, that professor Bartlesby was in charge of. We know that Professor Bartlesby, at least yesterday, was corpse taker. Was corpse taker. Yeah. And Lee Sean came into town with Bartlesby. But perhaps that's why they came there. Fair. It just seems like a weird, like maybe she intentionally body swapped Bartlesby for this project. That's fair. Because they did say he was kind of a dick and nobody liked him. Yeah. But yeah, it's just weird to mention Professor Bartlesby, but not Corpse Taker there, I thought. I love that he uses Bob as a educational tool for, for Butters. It's great. Yeah. And how Bob is like, doesn't, you know, this is beneath me, but whatever. <laughs> uh, good stuff. But he also tells Bob, he gives Bob an order. He does. As far as your other question, how Bob is passed along. We know a couple of his. Mm-hmm. Yes, we know Kemmler and we know Justin, but do they have to die for the next person to get him? Presumably, if that was the case, Cal would have killed Harry. Right. But. True. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but we maybe do know, know that. Because Bob mentioned it, that DeMorne took Bob from the smoking ruins of Kemmler's lab, just like Harry took Bob from the smoking ruins of DeMorne's lab. So it, it seems to be, seems to have yeah, passed that that's way, true. but that could just be because it's a powerful magical artifact. It could also be because it's required, right? Good thought. Anything else there or uh, on chapter 23 or 33 rather? Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it. I just really like Wicca name for Halloween. Uh, Samhain. Samhain. That's not how I would have pronounced that. No. It's a Gaelic word. Yeah, I mean, the the tools he uses here, a heavy collar, a small bowie knife, flint and steel, arrowheads, a used copy of The Hobbit, splintered ends of his blasting rod, his gun, a parking ticket, and his mother's amulet. It's just like a weird collection of things that he thinks will work. And he mentions that it, isn't perfect, but it's going to be good enough. So yeah, I, it really is interesting to me how powerful Harry comes off here. And I wonder again, if that has something to do with your will, presumably comes a lot of it from your brain. And if you got someone kicking around your brain, maybe they can add some will. Who knows? Um, 
I wonder how I just I know she's affecting, but I wonder when and how much to attribute to Lashiel. Oh. And there's no And you're never really gonna get an answer. It's all yeah. just kind of speculating, but the summoning itself is kind of cool. The empty the empty just just the shadow first. Very and cool. Then lightning and he comes, right? It just materializes. Yeah. But it's kind of like it's very dramatic, just like how Mab materialized. Oh yeah. And for Mab, you know, it was summoning Leah, but he just said it once and then waited. Whereas he does the constant repetition here for Earl King. Different types of summoning, obviously, but just interesting difference. Yeah, Earl King seems cool. Um, anything in there or chapter 34? I love mouse, mouse protecting butters. Yeah, we get the softer side of mouse here before the actual murder mouse later. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, that murder mouse. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, you know, why would he think that mouse would listen to him when he said kill him, if not from this conversation here also? So that is probably pretty important to rec- that he recognizes that we know mouse is special. He knows mouse is special, right? Because he's a, a temple dog situation, but. Um... Some super special skill set or mindset or something. Yeah. Then it's bred sure. into him, obviously not trained. You said you had, uh, you said you had thoughts on the Sheila reveal. What, uh, what do you got? So when, when the voice says Harry, I seriously was like, oh my God, she stole, she has Bob. She's working with, with Cal. That's why she knows all this shit. I went down that rabbit hole. 100%. Was certain of it. <laughs> and then it was Butters. And I was like, oh, okay. So she's not super shady. She's just... She's not super bad guy. She's just shady. I mean, did you like that we were, we were tricked? I mean, did, what, did you have thoughts on the actual true reveal at all? Or? I thought it was cool. I thought it was appropriate, too. And I, and I liked how... I, like Harry, didn't realize that he met Sheila before he had the dream. Oh, yeah. I've been talking all novel about how things are off and, there, you know, there must be a reason and stuff. And I wasn't really trying mm-hmm. to spoil this moment or anything. Um, I mean, you already know Lashiel's in his head, right? But, um, yeah, I guess maybe we didn't. Yeah, we did, you did because she was laughing. She was we laughing. did, yeah. I wasn't trying to spoil this. I was honestly interested by how much of that popped out as... Just in, I mean, I've never caught all that iffiness where everything's just off a little bit. It was, yeah, it was very, but it wasn't blatant. It was just slight. Oh, exactly. It's just like, which is why Harry hasn't picked up on it. You know, how would I know if I was insane? Um, mm-hmm. He's close. But all of the repeats too are interesting. Yeah. And I was, you know, talking with, um, friend of the program dragon fat um about why some of those conjuration thoughts i had earlier last week you know when he basically wanted his gun his gun showed up he thought about the bottle caps thing and, and they showed up and he was thinking mm-hmm. that that was you know somehow lashio manifesting them she doesn't have power over other things so may i mean the, the possible solution to that would be she heard billy coming so he thought about it 
The bottle cap one, though, doesn't really make sense unless he didn't actually think that. She just made him think he thought that. Maybe to make him think he's more powerful or something. I, um, But he didn't catch it. Know. So it's just... Either way, it was, good, it was a good chat about it, but I, I, I didn't leave it really believing that I understand why he thinks about things and they happen. Yeah, I don't... It's interesting. Maybe Harry is a god. Because <laughs> uh, on, on Dresden Talk, there's a lot of talk about who the Burger King is. It's definitely a mantle, but the Burger King is a uh, clearly an important, powerful figure in the world. <laughs> I've mentioned Emperor of Ark before, but uh, Toadstool Toast is also another very good uh, Dresden Talk follow. Spoilers, don't follow if you're not caught up, but um, there's some good <laughs> conversation about the power and identity of the Burger King over there. Um, it's, we're making out that it's a real thing. That's gotcha. why it's, but it's, Harry loves Burger King, and good things happen at Burger King's. Um, <laughs> again, that whole scene where he's, you know, working through Lashio, that's the most tempted we've seen him in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like in a long time, he always, every novel he thinks he, he's offered power. He thinks about what it would mean to get it. And we saw that with Kumori, right? Where he, he doesn't consider taking it, but he considers the consequences of it. Right. Yeah. He, go, he goes he re- through it. Uh-huh. Exactly. But this is the first time in a long time, at least that I've really felt like he thought about it. Right. I mean, there's that one scene in Stormfront where he decided like, I'm a fucking wizard. I'm a good guy. I'm going to do this right. And since then, he's been pretty relatively straight and narrow, at least. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't take up the you know the temptation here, but it is just interesting that he's closer than we've seen him in a novel where his head's been you know chopped, chopped and screwed the whole time, which explains why. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it helps. <laughs> uh. And, and mostly that scene, I just think about through the lens of Butters. Because he has this whole oh, conversation. I think that took minutes of time. Ba- back oh, and yeah. forth, working through it. And then he runs for the runs window. The windows, probably sticks a leg over the, you know. Like, I was like, what the fuck is happening here? It's in a dark, busted up apartment building in Green and Green. I just, I do love that. That's all I got. Anything else on there? So I don't think that, in that chapter. I... Do love that Lissy got another one right with a D- GPS. That was a good call, and I did a good job not giving it to you. <laughs> I'm trying hard not to spoil. Sometimes it's like I say stuff that like, and sometimes I don't pick up which on is it. Good because I, I mean, I, I do try to like I don't nudge necessarily, but I do want like stuff that I don't want to say stuff that's important, but like things that are interesting, right? I mean, like I try to bring up because I, I really am going through this trying to do it with a fresh not a fresh slate but like a clean clean. well you also want to make sure i pay attention to certain things yeah and and, then i do love that the we've seen this before right with the elaine name dropped even though he did it for novels at a time but then in uh summer night he talked about elaine and then like a chapter later she showed up where he mentions how cassius was the uh what was this for not cletus please cassius is i think uh, a spider-man villain quintus cassius quintus cassius he name dropped him a, a chapter or so before he recognized that it was him. Um, I did mention, and I, I read it twice when we were back, when he, when they were exchanging butters for the numbers, he said, where is it? 
I don't see it. Like, where's, where are you keeping it or whatever like that? Remember? I did try to call attention to that just as a, not as even a clue. I mean, I never guessed it. No one's going to guess this random one-off character, but um, just to draw attention to that. Um, mm-hmm. Cletus Cassidy is uh, carnage. <laughs> not Cletus Cassius. Either way, similar names to a Spider-Man villain. Um, the easiest way, what he really should do here in my mind is get the book and burn it. Right? Like that's why doesn't he destroy the book immediately? It's my question. He says he can. So why doesn't he? Well, cause he can't do fire, I guess. Oh, that's right. That makes sense. And that's the only way you could get rid of a book that quickly. But also gaining that knowledge is a very, very big potential weapon down the road. I think like Lashiel, I think he's tempted here. Not this, not in this moment. Not he's not going to do it today. But I think he doesn't tear the book into little pieces. He says it's like only a couple pages, right? Like because he does want he wants this knowledge. He's tempted. He's tempted here. And whether that's Lashiel's influence, whether that's this darkness that he has always talked about, because if he just tears it up, boom, bada bing, bada boom, no, no dark hollow. Yeah, that's true. But he doesn't. He holds on to it for a little bit, and then he takes an opportunity to do some speed reading ish, um, and that we'll 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 I guess we'll circle back to that later. I know what it's for. What's that? He's looking at it so Lashiel can see it. Yeah, exactly. Which is two temptations in one, right? So he's dodged every temptation all the way through, you know, six novels, and here he reads the word of Kemmler. And does it in a way that he's going to have to use Lashiel to get it. Yeah. Right? Like that's- I was actually thinking that he was going to bring her out when he was restrained by Snake, Man- Snake Boy because he was hoping for a hero. Exactly. Well, we're mentioning the, the temptation and the negatives here of Harry. On the positive side, he doesn't even think about the coin. Obviously, he thinks about it. They're talking about the coin. Yeah. But at no point does he think of summoning it or trying to, trying to use Lashiel. He doesn't think about- giving in here so in the back of his mind i think he wants to have these options but when push comes to shove he was just gonna get sliced and diced he's literally getting tortured and he has this powerful potential weapon inside his brain and he doesn't even think about it he thinks of michael he thinks of his friends like the exact you know diametrically opposed to lashiel which is a great juxtaposition to this when there's no pressure on He's like, oh, maybe I'll use some power sometime. You know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll want to do some dark, some stuff. But when push comes to shove, when, when it comes down to seeing what kind of man he is, it doesn't even come up. He goes to his friends, the knights, the light, and doing things the right way, which I love. It's those, and those are in back-to-back chapters, right? Which is just like very cool. On t- and especially since she's been poisoning his mind for years now, and he's still... That's not who he is, which I love. But it, it, it's the core of him. Even at his lowest, he looks to his friends. Yeah, and we talked about how that makes him mighty. Yeah. Ironically, the scene with Quintus Cassius in Grave Peril is like my least favorite Michael scene where he laughs at Harry beating the shit out of him. <laughs> it's a little rough. Which, even, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? Like, Michael was Michael true. was pissed. Very at that true. Guy. And so he probably, yeah, maybe he did let himself 
laugh at that. You know, maybe that isn't bad characterization. Like, I love again. This is making me rethink a scene from months ago and and years ago mm-hmm. in, in the series. Like, it's just. I mean, I gave again. I'm I'm not an author. I'm not an artist at all. But I, you know, we I gave we give a little shit where we feel like shit's due and stuff wasn't done elegantly and great. But like, dude is like just fucking nailing it. Like, it makes me feel feels and think things. The torture scene is not fun to read. No. And it ends with some combination of Harry and Mouse committing murder. Maybe justified. Maybe self-defense, but certainly homiciding. <laughs> I mean, he's... It's pretty crazy, though. He's completely... He's not a threat at that point. He's an old man gonna die within a year. Can barely walk. But he's gonna... He's trying to kill Harry. No, I know, but not at... They won. He was done. Yeah. So... But look what happened the last time they let him, they walked away. Oh, sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's not justified. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting. It's just a tough chapter to read, start to finish. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't love that our hero kills a guy in maybe lukewarm blood, we'll call it, right? It's not completely cold blood, but. No, I don't think blood. it is. Um, but also that tortures, I'm, I don't do stuff like that. So that's awful. Yeah. It was like a conversation with you for chap for pages at a time. <laughs> uh, I love mouse coming through. And I mean, is it cliche? Is it over the top? Is it trite that butters went from what he started this novel to a guy that's willing to risk his life for his friend? Maybe I still love it. I, I just, again, like butters hates. Gradually stepping up. Yeah, no, exactly. When he's working, he's doing, he, he, we saw him working on a live human, which he hates doing, right? Like yeah. baby, baby steps, getting rid of the the self delusion of the supernatural world early on. Like it, it was baby steps. You're right. I mean, it wasn't. He didn't just go from the more the you know the scene at the uh, more right to this moment. So he, it feels earned for sure. I'm not saying it doesn't feel earned. Um, I just maybe as a little guy, I have a little guy complex. I don't like. Uh, but uh no i just i I love this moment for butters realizing his power that harry's tried to convince him of the whole time and and he's you know when thomas wanted to ditch him if he had harry's dead butters saved him from lashiel butters saved him from cassius like butters is a goddamn hero he truly is and he fixed his sutures he's not he's not the typical hero but he's definitely a hero mouse is great i love that he did the uh the mister move yeah blasting into his legs <laughs> absolutely fantastic he totally learned it from mister because he sees mister do it all the time and i think it's wonderful oh goodness um short of that anything else i don't think so good stuff and we are right on the cusp of the climax here today's the penultimate chunk of deadbeat so getting uh obviously in true dresden fashion we're gonna have a uh rip roaring rampage of excitement can't wait to get through that i accidentally started the next chapter i did too and i had to stop uh how deep did you get only very short and i was like wait what chapter is this it uh some good stuff some good moments um 
I hate prejudicing things, but I'm going to, it is like kind of common though. Like this, this novel was the first hardcore, no, uh, first hardcover release in the series, you know, kind of this, not studio. What do you call those? Publishing house. Oh uh, yeah. The publisher, publisher showing a little bit more faith in the series, which I love that this is book seven. So fuck you guys. But he has, you know, point it was probably less than 20, but he has a dozen more books planned. And they finally kind of commit to it, commit, but you know, it's it's a big release and helping him make a little more cash and get it going and really starting to believe in and push the Dresden files as a series, which is cool. And a lot of, like I mentioned this at the beginning, a lot of people, because we, you know, we, we've talked about how hard to get into the first couple can be. I I didn't have any trouble and I, I don't think you'd had too much either, but people have, um, and they recommend this one as kind of the, starting off point i would recommend three if you're gonna skip any but i'd say don't skip it um they have their problems and it's it's there's, it's good it's great it's problematic trademark um okay. but yeah it just continues to just up the ante consistently um we literally we started with a rogue sorcerer and now we have a literal fallen angel that's <laughs> an antagonist yeah. that's up in the stakes a little bit which is great and um interested to see how this one ends. Does one of the heirs of Kemmler go to Godhood and kill most of Chicago, including Harry? I mean Or do we find maybe. a way? Do we find a way? Somebody ride in on a white horse and save the day. Or does he our plucky hero pull it out in the end? I really hope he does. Because I is, sure hope this he has been survives. a fun podcast. And if this is the end, it'll be too bad. <laughs> oh right oh there was one other thing i wanted to point out oh yeah go for it at one point he says don't look at me like that to the person he's telling the story to oh did you not catch that yeah yeah, yeah. no i understand i think he's writing him writing it down and I always have just the way the way it's phrased and stuff but i, I you like your very your idea is that he's actually telling the story telling the tale yeah no i like it don't look at me like that yeah no no, no i remember that I do. It's colloquial, you know, it's. Yeah. But no, that's a great catch. I love it. Keep that tinfoil on tight, baby. <laughs> I, um, oh, I did want to have one more note here that I love the take cover. Yes, I did away too. Conversation. Both from Harry being a good friend, but also like that's that's what Harry does. Like Harry, Harry takes cover all the time. You know, like yeah. the situation demands it. Like it, it really is. And like, I, you know, you see this again. I, I, I hate to reference, like I've only seen read three novels, but you know, where in Harry Potter, like he's like, I, all of it's an accident. I, I didn't do any of this like, on purpose. Like shit just happens. And like, I got lucky and stuff like that. Like you, you always think it's way cooler and more dramatic and, it's way cooler and dramatic and difficult to be the hero and to do, you know, and that line there really helped Butters realize that it's showing up and showing out for your, for your crew. You know, I, I talked about, I mentioned how badly my team got our asses kicked this weekend, but like the whole point you, you show up and you battle for your, for your crew. And that's what Harry does more than anything else, both Harry's. And, and he really helped Butters that conversation making Butters feel better about running and hiding because he couldn't win that fight, I think led him to, 
at least in part, led him to his stand against Cassius. Because it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be fancy. But I'm here for my friend. Yeah, and no, I, 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 I like that conversation. And then seeing, again, you, you talked about it. Like, Butters slowly but surely building into this character that is believably doing that. Development? Uh-huh. Because, I mean, he's terrified. But he's doing it through the terror. Which is kind of impressive. Can a man be brave if he's afraid? The only time he, a man can be brave. Oh, Eddard, you stubborn fool. Yeah, um, anything yikesy? No. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't I, get anything I didn't mind the noir kind of, you know, the, I didn't mind the description of, of Sheila. Um, the calf thing was weird. Maybe, you know, never mind. I'm not going to king shame. <laughs> um, I like necks. Um, <laughs> you're so random. The, uh, again, the way we talk about the gay stuff, I, I, it's not a full on yikes, but I'll give it a partial yikes. Okay. Just kind of gay panicky, you know? But, uh, yeah, again, another pretty solid, straightforward, yeah, non problematic chunk for the most part. Pretty Definitely good. let us know if you disagree. But, um, I have a couple. Do you have any quotes of the week this week? I do. <laughs> uh, these are both Bob quotes in the in chapter 32. Harry's joined the wizard's secret police, Bob bumbled. He gets to convict on suspicion and take justice into his own hands. How cool is that? <laughs> that and I am very much a he. I'm not some kind of freaking animatronic tinker toy. And then chapter 34 took cover, I provided. In the action business, when you don't want to say you ran like a mouse... You call it taking cover. It's more heroic. And then finally, are you afraid, boy? Cassius whispered. You're about the fifth scariest person I've met today, I said. <laughs> I love that that's like he's about to get tortured and murdered. Mm -hmm. And that still is absolutely true. <laughs> it's like, just can't bring myself to be afraid of you. Uh, couple here. I'm going to read them in reverse chronological order, though. I like when he flipped the switch from getting tortured and mm -hmm. hoping someone comes to deciding I'm going out on my own terms and, or I'm going to fucking kill you if I can. Damn it. I was not going to die. I was not going to let this murderous bastard kill. Me. I was going to survive. I didn't know how I would do it, but my will locked onto the notion and I found myself grinding my teeth. I had shown him mercy before he'd had his chance to walk away. I was going to live and I was going to kill him. I love it. And uh, when Thomas needed help from his sister and he hinted that Harry was the one who needed it. <laughs> so you're telling me that I just engaged in blackmail against the ruler of the white court by proxy. Yeah. You've got some great big brass balls on you to do something <laughs> like that, Harry. I love that. I think that's wonderful. Oh, I love Thomas. Okay, there is one thing and one thing only left to do, and you are the only one who can do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Get us out of here with that crackpot theory of the week! Alrighty. So, as I've previously said, there's more to Mr. than just being a cat. There's more to Mouse than just being a dog. I mean, I know he's a temple dog and all that, but I feel like there's more to it. He's got some supernatural shit going on. And that is why the pre the 
priest or whomever it was was so so worried about getting them back, and that's why they were stolen in the first place. Uh, by those uh, flaming monkey mm-hmm. throwing demon things. Yes. Yeah. That set a building on fire, and it wasn't Harry's fault. Exactly. Hey, well, that just about does it for another tidy episode. Very exciting times. Okay. Good stuff. We may have some scheduling changes over the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm traveling. Lissy's traveling. So we'll uh, obviously keep you posted on all the appropriate things. We're definitely going to have something out. Maybe we'll do some short stories. Maybe we'll do a shorter chunk of Proven Guilty. Is that the next one? Proven Guilty? Yes, it is. And yeah, we'll, we'll play it. We'll figure it out as we go here. But um, we'll keep you posted. But things are afoot. Also, I mentioned that I might be spending more time in Seattle. And Jim Butcher is going to be spending some time in Seattle in March. So uh, <laughs> let me try to get out to that uh, NorwestCon. Science fiction fantasy con of some sorts um, in Seattle. And um, yeah, so we'll see if we see if that makes sense and getting things going. Um, we got to get Jim a dick mark. I mean, right. I mean, that's I mean, obviously, if nothing else, that man, need, that man deserves a dick mark. <laughs> uh, thanks to our friends from 13 Star Designs. Uh, so awesome. I mentioned him earlier, actually, but Dragon Fett hopped on the Patreon train. He's now cooler than ever. And we also picked up Mordred. Go get him. I'm excited. Thank you guys for hopping on. We have a Patreon. It's five bucks a month. You get the pod a day early and I post some dumb pictures of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I'm not a salesman. You want to join? Do it. It'll be great. You're the coolest. You don't, you can't, you know, yeah, it's okay too. I get it, but we'd love to have you. And uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, showing out. And honestly, the support is bananas, but anybody who downloads it, you're also pretty darn cool. And we appreciate y'all for listening. people listening to us ramble on about these books really <laughs> and other exciting. random bits of things that we pull out of them. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for the interactions. Um, we are on all the things we're on all the things, all the socials. The podcast was on fire. Uh, thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. Patreon.com. Facebook. X formerly known as not X and TikTok. Oh man, TikToks. Uh, I left a clue about Lashiel in the last one. Did you catch it? <laughs> I don't know if I did. Goodness gracious. All right, thank you guys so much. Uh, we got to get out of here. I am keeping Lissy up late and she is not a spring chicken. <laughs> I'm also not a morning person. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, we are delighted to keep shipping these things out as long as somebody listens. We'll keep chatting. And you know what, quite frankly... We'll probably keep talking even if nobody listened to us because that's just what we Again, do. This whole thing was an elaborate, it's an elaborate scheme to make my sister talk to me every <laughs> week. I appreciate you guys so much. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. Podcast on fire. And it wasn't my fault. It really wasn't.
Okay, oh, he does go all the way through it, okay. I just wasn't sure where the break was. I was listening to it while uh, coaching the weekend. Oh, man. We are, we're down, like, five of our seven guys, like, main rotation guys this weekend. Damn. So it was, and we played good teams. It was, we went 0-4, mm-hmm. long time since that's happened. And, uh, oof. We lost a game 15 to nothing to the, uh, oh, wow. I mean, the reigning national bronze medalists, like it's a really fucking good team, but it was okay. so thorough. Like I haven't, I haven't been beaten like that in years. Like it was just like mm. nothing was, was po- nothing possibly could work. At that. It was just like, um, Aww. good character building and group building experience, but it was, uh, it was uh it was a uh, it, it was tough. <laughs> uh, sure. But Dresden in between helped in the air conditioned car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. AC always does good things. 